You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, to all of you, you beautiful, beautiful people who come back week after week to watch our show, Global Trade This Week, brought to you by the good people at Cap Logistics. I'm Pete Mento, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Doug Draper. When the show is working right, sometimes one of us isn't here and you have yep. to suffer through Keenan, but not this week. This <laughs> week, you've got the A-team, the varsity, Division One, baby, Pete yep. Mento and Doug Draper. Doug, how are you, pal? Oh, man, <clears throat> Pete, I'm doing awesome. I am doing great. I appreciate you asking that. I'm ready for some global trade, and we're going to talk about it this week. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. So uh, did you want to chat about your weekend now or are we waiting on that for later? Um, you know what? I'll um, the, the, the teaser is I spent a couple of days, uh, three days in Boston. That's your stomping grounds. I'm trying to get my uh, my accent down. Had a wonderful experience for multiple reasons. Um, one of them was some success my daughter had in a very important uh, race called the uh, head of the Charles, but we'll dive into that at halftime. Um, Great. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for that. All right, man. That's cool. Um, I love it. I'm, I'm happy that uh, someone found some joy and excitement here in the Northeast before the weather gets too brutal and awful. Yeah. Uh, so thanks Doug for, for being just a, a hastily made tourist video, apparently for the Commonwealth. <laughs> I, right. I love that pal. Yeah. So um, apparently you're going to go first with our first topic today so that yeah. I can uh, end with probably what will be a, a, a really depressing topic for our last topic yeah. this week. So yeah. go ahead and well, bring it, Doug. That is what we're doing. Um, so Pete, I've been given the USPS and Uncle Sam and their delivery services a little bit of a hard time over the years when I talk about uh, their lack of innovation or forward thinking and and poke fun of them. But, you know, I have to give credit where credit is due. And and this one is basically, I think the USPS has kind of gotten their act together a little bit. Um, and, and I like it. So here's the gist of it, right? There's this company called Octane, and they own seven different reseller brands of, of postal uh, services. ShipStation, Stamps.com is probably the one most people have heard of, ShipEasy, ShipWorks. It's all generally the same thing where they can resell services and, and transportation and, um, and make a few bucks. And primarily um, what they've done recently is to negotiate um, a contract that secures rates for all of their enterprises, right? Enterprise-wide agreement, so it covers all of their, of their companies. And I think this is a gangster move, not only by Octane, but also by the post office, simply because on um, October 1st, the post office said they were no longer going to uh, honor and terminate all reseller agreements. Um, and they wanted to encourage customers to have direct relationships with the post office. But just weeks after that, they just landed this deal with Octane. So that's essentially an exclusive uh, use uh, agreement, if you will. So let's not worry about all the smaller retailers. Let's align ourselves with, with the big boys, which is good. And second thing, it's a proactive play, in my opinion. You got UPS and FedEx. FedEx a little challenged um, financially right now, trying to get back uh, on, on point. And UPS, um, staying true to their core business, just had some good earnings today. Um, but both of them are 
uh, dropping out some pretty sizable increases. So let's align with the post office. Let's get a good agreement for all of our, our platforms um, <clears throat> that we work with. Third, it's right before the holidays because that agreement is immediate. Those are the place right now. So a great way to capitalize on some of the, um, I wouldn't say negative uh, publicity, but the fact that everybody's raising their rates. Here comes Octane and their new relationship with the post office. Um, I think it's it, it's phenomenal. And the last thing is that I think the consumer, Pete, is not as obsessed with speed as it used to be uh, with getting their, uh, their their products to their house, right? The, the one caveat to that is if if you just tell me where it is, I can accept a one or two day delay or not even a delay, but just a transit time. If you give me a four day transit, okay, I'm cool with that. I can plan for it. I get it. I understand supply chain. Just tell me where it is during those four days. And that's the one thing the post office, I think, is really challenged, and they do not have the tracking capabilities that the other guys uh, do. So I think that could pose a little bit of a problem. But when you're talking about, hey, the tracking is not as robust as the other guys, but we're going to save you a shitload of money, I think I know which one will will win out. So I'm here to say the post office, uh, gangster move. I love it. I love the timing. I love the angle. And I think we're going to see um, good form, um, forward momentum uh, with the post office in 2023. So I'll give kudos where kudos are deserved, Pete. Who are you and what have you done with Doug? <laughs> getting on getting on here and talking about how you love the post office all of a sudden. Were you, did you suffer some kind of brain injury when you were in Boston over the weekend, Doug? No, no, I just, you know what? The thing about the show, Pete, is we're fair, right? We tell, we tell it like it is, and in my personal opinion, I like this move. And trust me, there's a lot of things I could bash the post office about, but you know what? They played their cards right. They played their timing right. And I think it was a really smart move and I'll give them some kudos for that. Well, you need to continue those kudos because for certain levels of USPS service, they have excellent track. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw the ball up there for you, Doug. If you, <laughs> if you, if you use certain levels of service, their tracking mechanism is actually quite good. Mm, yeah. I guess I'm either, in disbelief or unaware, and and I will um, say more disbelief. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've seen the guys delivering mail in my neighborhood, and um, I, I don't believe that comment. I, I just can't wait for the next show when you're going to start a, a love letter to drones, Doug. That's probably yeah. what's next. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. So yeah. anyway, interesting stuff. Um, <sighs> yeah. So what you got, man? All Let's right, jump so, into it. Um, my first topic has to do with one of my pet peeves about the industry, which is a lack of standards and some good news that came out yesterday. We were chatting a bit about it before the show started recording. Yeah. Uh, the LTL world, a small group of companies inside the LTL world have decided that they're going to start working off of one electronic standard for, uh, I think it's bills of lading. I think it was electronic bills of lading. Um, and to me, this is I mean, just, utterly fantastic news. It's very difficult to create any sort of technology that can be used across businesses when I'm going to use one particular standard for how I fill out documentation and for how I build certain documentation, you're going to have one. And then our customers are going to have who knows how many. Um, one of the things I've often talked about with friends of mine in um, 
large government and then large industry forms like the FDRA as an example, the Footwear Distribution Retailers Alliance. What if there could be the adoption by all of those companies of their one invoice? The FDRA has one footwear commercial invoice, uh, but they don't necessarily adopt it across all their platforms. If there could just be one invoice that everybody uses, regardless of industry, regardless of who they are, could you imagine what that could mean for the customs house brokerage industry if we could build our software to take in information from one type of invoice? So this is a great first step. What's unfortunate is it's a relatively small number of carriers, but hey, man, progress is progress, and um, you know I'll take it. And I think the industry is going to sit sit back a little bit, watch and see how this goes, take a breath, and um, and learn from it. It's not, I don't think it's intended or it's meant to be some magic bullet. It's just a a first meaningful, thoughtful step towards trying to understand how this could possibly affect change in the industry as a whole. So um, from the mightiest oak come the, the planting of the tiniest acorns, man. So I'm, I'm just happy to see that someone try. Yeah, I, I, I like it. You know, <clears throat> unless you're in the industry like we are, Pete, I think people don't realize how <laughs> archaic some of the, or, or let me rephrase that, how manual some of the processes are mm -hmm. that we go to. And yes, log tech and technology starting to, uh, you know, just in, engulf our industry in a positive way. There's people like, really, what? You, I'm not sending stuff with fax machines, but some instances it's, it, it, it's pretty comparable. So spot on, I agree with you 100%. It's, uh, it's moving in the right direction and I like it. Yeah, there are certain customs uh, jurisdictions, certain taxing authorities that will not accept information via email, but they will accept them via fax. That's crazy, isn't it? I've never understood it, bud, and I never will. But I guess it has yeah. something to do with security and personal information. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah, so we're just a halftime, Doug. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll kick this off. So I got to uh, appreciate it. First of all, my daughter, University of Kansas Women's Rowing, was a, invited for the first time since 1997 to attend ahead of the Charles. It is the largest regatta, the largest three-day regatta in the world. Pete, they had 1,700 boats and 11,000 participants zipping down the Charles River. And it was one of those deals that, you know, it's uh, once in a lifetime. Um, my daughter was selected to be one of the eight rowers. There's about 50 girls on her team. So she was totally stoked and, and, um, it was great, <clears throat> great opportunity. They were seated in their grouping. Uh, they were seated, uh, 29th and they ended up, um, finishing 10th. So they jumped, uh, quite a few levels there. And it's always nice to have, um, your, um, not siblings, your kids, um, not only excel at something, but be so happy and engaged uh, with what they're doing with their lives. And, and I saw that on Sunday and Saturday. So it was awesome. But um, so thanks for inviting me with that. But here's some observations I have with Boston. Pete. I know that's kind of your stomping ground. So um, here's the deal. Number one, and, and I stayed on what's called the Back Bay, and it's right across from MIT, and you go down a little bit, and, and then there's Boston College, or Boston University, Boston College, Harvard, the whole bit. Everybody runs. We were walking over the Washington Street. Everybody running, 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 running. I didn't realize it was such a big deal in Boston. So uh, when you see Boston is like one of the healthiest cities, I guess running's part of it. But that struck me. The other thing, 
Boston's really clean. I, I didn't know what to expect, and the Bostonians are very welcoming. So I don't know if they were eavesdropping or providing advice, but there was twice when I was talking to my wife and my son, and somebody behind us kind of chimed in and gave us some advice. The advice was uh, un um, it was welcome. We didn't ask for it. They just happened to be listening to our conversation. So they gave us good advice and I appreciate that. This one, Pete, cash only in little Italy. That struck me. Uh, and it could be for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, cash only everywhere you go in little Italy, loved it. Um, cash only. And then there's these two places. One's called Mike's, um, pastries and one is called Don't modern pastries. They both do cannolis. They always talk about one's better than the other. They're literally across the street from each other. They both have lines out the door. I couldn't tell the difference when I purchased one from each. So uh, modern pastry and Mike's pastries with their cannolis, they're both awesome. Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of end with this one, Pete, is that Cambridge, I didn't think it was all that. Um, you and I were talking before the show. I don't know if you would call them houseless people, homeless people. Uh, what were some other terms that you used? The unhoused. <laughs> the unhoused. Yes. Yeah. Um, Boston clean. Um, not a lot of uh, the unhoused in the general area. But I'll tell you what, you roll up into Cambridge. Oh, my gosh. I would liken it to, you know, we talked about a Berkeley or a Boulder here uh, in Colorado. Shocked at how vagrant that town was uh, amongst all the pomps and circumstances with Cambridge. So. That's the one. I was a little taken aback and, you know, Harvard this and Harvard that. A little disappointed there, Pete. A little disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. So you you you, you pulled my string, Doug. So let's just start with a couple <laughs> of things, okay? Okay. First of all, modern can burn down to the – can burn and be thrown into the sea. Uh, my family – I was the fifth generation of my family to live in the North End. Um, my daughter will someday live there. Mike's – to the day I die. Uh -huh. Let's let's just let's just get that out of the way. There are two types of of uh, Italian Americans in New England: Mike's Italian Americans and modern Italian Americans. Mike's Italian Americans. Your grandfather had like a Lincoln or a Caddy or a Buick. Modern Italian Americans. Your dad had. Your grandfather had like a like a Mercedes. You know, like is it's like the you know like the wealthy Italians that had the fitted suits and everything and like the mm -hmm. you know enough of that um and then the cash only part we've talked a lot about my family's background in the past uh yeah you need cash business to clean money back in the day so exactly a lot done there but fantastic 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 food shout out to my cousin uh, anthony whose place burnt down a couple of months ago belvisa was coming back and um i know he watches the show so um cool. love you buddy and hopefully your, your place will be back up again i uh, can't wait to bring charlotte there and have another great meal um bostonians it's funny how you were like, oh, we were just talking and they were like, hey, you know what? Here's what you ought to do. And you're like, oh, why? Thank you. It's because Bostonians are rude, opinionated, love to interrupt. They <laughs> are know-it-alls and think they know everything. So you're like, I wonder what you do. Like, oh, I'll tell you what, we, what you ought to do. What you need to do is you need to do the following things because they are just positive that they know exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. And they will interrupt you and they will tell you what to do because it's their business. It's got nothing to do with being friendly. They're the least friendly people on the planet on the surface. 
So the biggest difference between Midwesterners and New Englanders is on the surface, we're awful. But once you get past that thin veneer, we're very, very nice people. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the surface of it, it is just a thin sheen on the water of just scum. Mm. I mean, just it's we're terrible. So, um, yeah, that's funny, Doug, that you were like, oh, they just seem so very nice. No, they're not. They're not nice at all. They wanted to tell you exactly what you needed to do. Yeah, that's, you know, well, Um, I was the tourist guy walking around, you know, I mean, we had tourists written all over us, so. Um, I can see Boston, that. quite possibly the least healthy city in America. It is just full of fat, drunk people who live on Dunkin' Donuts and Marble Reds. I don't know where you got this idea that, that it's like full of, of you know, all these super, it's like, you know, Mickey and Patty and Aunt, Aunt me and like everybody else just like horking down cannolis and drinking buds, rooting for the pats. Like you, I don't know where you got this idea. Um, very violent, extremely passionate people who will stomp you out for drinking the last Bud Light. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what part of Boston you were into. Oh, you were I told you, I was right reason. there where all the universities yeah. are. Maybe that's part of Not, it. You weren't really in Boston, Doug. You were in Back Bay, which is where all the rich people who moved in to work for the dot-coms live. Like the folks I used to work with at Wayfair, none of them are from Boston. None of them. None of them. They're they're all from like, you know, the West Coast and they moved there. And it's this little haven where they can all feel safe. Um, you want to see real Boston, you you come back next time and I you will have a great time, Doug. And I will take you out. <laughs> You'll meet right. some guys that paint houses and we'll, we'll fill out some football cards and we'll have a really good time. It'll be a lot more fun, fun than you had this last trip. All right, I'll just right. leave. Um, yeah. What you got? My turn. My turn. Halftime brought to you by our friends at Cap Logistics. Um, a little bit different than yours. I live in, in New Hampshire, uh, as most of you know, and we have one of those contentious races that's coming up for, for politics. And we don't talk about politics, Doug, but I'm going to talk about political ads. So anytime I watch anything on television, almost all the ads are one of the Senate or or congressional like the governor here it's it's gone the governor is going to blow he's going to he's going like 99% of the vote but it's just political ads and then my phone i have a very very good spam filter on my phone but it's just just like constant phone calls from people either trying to do a um, like a poll or or someone saying you know can we can we count on your vote and then the text messages done the number of mm-hmm. spam text messages i get telling me who i ought to vote for and here's the part i don't get Doug. I'm not a registered Republican or Democrat. So it's not like they've got my phone number because I'm, you know, clearly like a, like on, on the home team for somebody, I'm just getting inundated by stuff, by stuff. If I turn on Hulu, Netflix, prime, whatever, and there's commercials, I'm just getting punched in the face by people telling me to not forget. And I'm wondering if I should just not vote for some of these people because they've made watching television so miserable for the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of political ads probably everywhere out here in Colorado as well. And it gets to the point where you don't hear any positive. It's all negative. And it's just, and the same ones roll over and over and over. And you just get like, I'm going to spite you and not vote because of (laughs) you've, you've, uh, uh, unsolicited come into my um, living room multiple times a night when all I want to do is see the car commercials during the news. Um, but yeah, Pete, I agree hundred percent with you on this time of year. Would it be funny if it was like Pete Mento colored outside the lines in kindergarten? 
he doesn't like puppies. Pete Mento, <laughs> Pete, Pete Mento once bought a foreign car, like, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, Doug Draper this fall. Like, you know, just be, get back to whatever it was or, or just like a, 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 give me an old fashioned commercial where it's just a, you know, a video of, 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 of a person with their family and their kids having a picnic, just, you know, so-and-so is a good person. And yeah, they get the same values as you. What do you say, America? <laughs> Instead, of, it's like everyone sucks but me. <laughs> this yeah, I don't know. It just seems like we've all kind of lost it, man. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I don't think I've ever wanted the first week of November to come more in my entire life than I wanted to right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, <sighs> anyway, yeah. Second right. half, pal. Yeah, second half, and um, let's see, this one is about barges, right? Um, You probably have heard a little bit about um, lack of rain, the Mississippi River is drying up, there's not enough uh, depth in the Mississippi River to move the barges, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, what makes the headline is ports off of LA, it's tangible, you can see them, the air freight parcel all those kinds of things have made made the headlines for a long time but what hasn't made the headlines at all is the barge traffic that uh, moves up and down the uh, the mississippi river so um the key thing there is commodities right oh the the, the thing with barges is you take a picture of them and you have no idea is it moving is it not moving is it just there so it's like a still video when you're trying to create um you know a messaging of how crazy things are so um but when I was doing a little research on this one this morning, Pete, the USDA says that 40%, 47% of all grain exports move down the Mississippi on the barge. Um, and with the slowdown and the fact that barges can't move, you know, that's going to impact farmers with delayed sales, crops potentially uh, a spoiling, you know, higher cost um, uh, to produce everything, lower yields, all those kind of things. But um yeah, so the thing is, is that the boats are moving, they're just not moving as fast, and you can't put as much stuff on the boat, on the barges, and you can't have as many barges in tow. So things are moving, so it's kind of like the, the trucking industry. You need more equipment because it needs to, you need more equipment to move it down, down the river because you can't bulk it down and have it, uh, and have it bottom out, so to speak. So the statistic I saw this morning, Pete, as of October 10th, 185 boats that were uh, waiting to move, and that represented 280, excuse me, 2,888 barges, because the barges, kind of the trailers behind it, if you will. Um, and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is doing emergency dredging and blah, 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 blah. So um, here's the forward lean on that, Pete, is uh, obviously capacity get it down there but here's the thing is once the barges are there they don't come back empty they're picking up other stuff to primarily help farmers and one of the biggest things they pick up is fertilizers and things to help next year's crop in 2023 so if there's no barges down there to pick that up right they can't bring it back up so that kind of says the equipment's all out of whack um that they're supposed to be positioned here and they're not again same concept as the ocean container that we've spoken about um, and and so I think it's not as sexy. People aren't talking about it. I think there's a lot more indirect um, product that's moved on barges that you and I may not may not think about. But I th- 
think we're going to see some of that impact in 2023 um, with some of the uh, product that we can't get back up the river. And obviously, just let's get some more rain and the problem solve itself. So anyway, I wanted to bring attention to the barge situation that's going on here domestically. Uh, it's no better than other other modes that we've talked about. Big wheel, keep on turning. <laughs> yeah. Proud Mary, keep on burning. Loved it. I knew that rolling, was coming. Rolling on a river, buddy. Uh, I have a lot to say about this, but I'm going to try my best to keep it abridged. The river traffic in America is essential for not only agriculture, but also for the U.S. military. We don't probably pay much attention to that, but in the absence of clear and passable roads, river's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry about giant potholes. River's always going to be there. Um, the The Mississippi River is an inter uh, interstate waterway, and because it's a U.S. port to U.S. port, it requires U.S. licenses. So when we can't put as much stuff as we want and we need more boats more boats means more american crews and that my friend is a conundrum because we simply do not have enough american mariners we don't have enough american mariners because we don't push enough for the american merchant marine so it's like trucking until we have some sort of uh, an inducement to get more men and women to decide that they want to make a living working on the water for this country. And until the U.S. government understands that that's an important part of our forward-looking projection of power, we're never going to solve this problem long-term, Doug. Mm -hmm. So um, this, this goes into food security, it goes into national security, and it goes deeply into our country's ability to be economically secure. Um, so yeah, river traffic might seem on the surface to be something that it's it's not sexy. It's not just sexy. It's positively, uh, it, it's vital. It's critical to our ability as a nation to remain safe and to remain vital. So mm. it's an important topic, man. And I, I wish that people paid more attention to it. But with everything else going on in the world right now and everything else going on in the economy, nobody wants to pay attention to it. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, Cap Logistics enables us to chit chat back and forth, Pete. Um, I want to remind mm -hmm. our audience before we drop in, drop into your final topic, uh, visit caplogistics.com for all your transportation needs. So on that one, Pete, bring yeah. us home. Um, so anyone who's done any traveling overseas, anyone who's been paying attention to particularly international relations news. So we have another, we have yet another very recent new prime minister in the United Kingdom, and a lot of that has to do with economic problems in the UK, has been paying attention to the strength of the US dollar against foreign currencies. As I noted a few weeks ago, my family and I took a trip over to Europe. It was wonderful. Thank you for asking. And while we were there, I was, uh, I was really shocked at the power of the US dollar against the euro and the pound in particular. It felt as though I was spending a dollar for every euro, just a bit more than a dollar for every pound. And that's never been the case in my entire life as someone who's traveled to both of those places a few times every year for i mean for at least the past 30 years maybe a little longer so it's it's strange to me uh to have that kind of buying power 
But what isn't strange is when you begin to look at how that creeps into the total global economy. The dollar continues to appreciate against many currencies. And we as international traders, I mean, Doug and I, as people who work in international trade in particular, we think in the terms of Dutch international carriers. We think of them in the terms of Lufthansa, KLM, Air France. We think of Maersk. We think of Hapagloid. You know, we think of Chinese ocean carriers, Taiwanese ocean carriers. And the list goes on and on. But there's a broader global economy that we also think of, and that's the developing world. Um, and that is beyond the tier of the Indias and the, and the you know, it's the Bangladeshes. It's the Sub-Saharan Africa's. It's the parts of Central America that are, in many instances, paired with the U.S. dollar. So they're tied to the strength of the U.S. dollar. And there are ones where um, they're not. And what's unfortunate right now, Doug, is that in many countries, the growth of the strength of the U.S. dollar is actually so fast and so high that inflation and the buying power of many foreign currencies is dropping at a rate that it's becoming pretty much, you know, the inflation in those countries and their ability to buy things, the buying power of those foreign currencies is becoming, it's becoming really scary. That the best word I can use is frightening for people who live in those countries. And the ultimate effect that we're going to see is people in these nations who are probably going to have a much longer recovery from a recession. If you were to poll a hundred midline economists, not too conservative, not too liberal, and ask them how long they thought that this economy, uh, this uh, recession was going to last in America. Most of them would say, without a lot of outside forces, you know, like a nuclear exchange or something going on, probably 12 to 18 months, maybe two years, worst case. But for many of these developing economies, take Bangladesh as an example, it could be three to four years. Um, take Central American economies. It could be four to five years. And much of that is going to be because of inflation and an inability of people to be able to overcome inflation and to overcome the buying power of the U.S. dollar. So it's unfortunate, Doug, but the, you know, the, the economic games that we play and our ability to manipulate our currency and for the first world economies to manipulate their economies is going to have a downstream negative effect on these developing countries. And it's just one of the outcomes of a very scary world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that doesn't um, give a perspective of how the world is truly interconnected and global trade. Uh, is truly that global? I, I don't know what is. I mean, if you just dissect that down and really understand what you're talking about, it's almost, you know, the haves, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. I mean, just the, the dichotomy of the strength of the dollar that's uh, impacting, you know, these countries that we're working to get out of, you know, first world type of uh, type of struggles. So, yeah, it's a great perspective. And I think, I think you're right on. It's just, it's disappointing. It just, you know, like anything else, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the, um, the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, so to speak. Uh, it's a pretty generalized comment, but you're you're making that point on a global scale. Yeah, and Doug, we'll talk more about this in the end of the year show. But with, with all of the food insecurity, with all the problems that we have right now with purchasing power, these are the countries that are facing drought. They're facing famine. They're facing um, a lot of you know, food insecurity, food unavailability. This is not the time for them not to have buying power. This is not the time for their, their currencies to go, to go a shorter distance than ever before and buying what they need to try to recover. They need to buy fertilizer. They need to buy 
things to, to repair their equipment, to repair their infrastructure, to be able to feed their people. But unfortunately, what they have is going to buy less than ever before. Mm-hmm. So it's scary times to be in that position, Hal. Yeah. Well, Pete, I know that's an important topic, and I'm not sure how to transition away for the end of our show, but I'll do my best, right? Um, and I guess that is it. I'm trying to think of something positive to say. Troy loved the show. He um, He's a big um, Sox fan, if you didn't realize that. But, uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up for this week, Pete. So I want to thank you. I want to thank our audience for listening today. <clears throat> Another wonderful edition of Global Trade this week. We'll be back. Uh, this week's a little bit later. I think um, we're going to post this midweek, but we'll be back on our game uh, and possibly have a Halloween show. Um, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm not even, never mind. I'm not going to go down the costume route. But for here and now, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Pete, thanks again. And we'll see you all on another edition of Global Trade this week. Thanks, buddy. See you next week. All right. Take care.